Welcome back to Nutrition for Noobs. I'm Kevin. I'm Michelle. And this is the podcast where we look at nutrition and we break it down into the science behind it and we look at a lot of scientific studies, but we keep it simple because I'm a simple guy. So in the last episode, we talked all about, well, Michelle talked about tea and the elements of tea and what tea is composed of and how it interacts with your body. Uh, And if you haven't heard that episode, I would recommend you go back and listen to it before you listen to this one, just because this episode will make a whole lot more sense with that background. In fact, I'd go back and listen to our entire back catalog, but definitely the last episode (laughs) is the most important. And there was a cliffhanger of the last episode. We left it on a cliffhanger because Michelle promised, dum, 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 next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Um... I just aged myself. Anyone under the age of 40 just didn't get that reference. (laughs) But we ended the last episode with Michelle promising some brand new hot off the press research from, I believe it was a conference you went to or something like that. I might be wrong. Yeah, I've attended uh, the last three of them. And this was the sixth international scientific symposium on tea and human health. Okay. Really, 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 really exciting. It's basically the most significant gathering of the minds of the research community and the scientific community on the links between uh, tea consumption and human health outcomes. The first time I, uh, a couple times I went, it was in Washington, D.C., and then the the last one was online. So uh, because it was uh, 2022. Of course. Thank you, COVID. Yeah, and I, th- you know, I think I think I actually really liked that delivery mechanism. I think it makes it m- much more accessible to a number of people. But what I liked okay. about it, sorry, was that uh, it was academic, scientific community. It was industry-sponsored um, scientific community, and it was also integrative uh, scientific community with no ties to industry. So it was basically everyone was there. Industry's there because like everybody's interested in green tea extract. What's green tea extract right. going to do, right? But as well as the sort of the more natural health sort of side of things. So everybody coming together to just sort of benefit advancing the science um, uh, behind the benefits of tea and human health. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And so, yeah, you promised at the end of the last episode that you talk a little bit more about now that we've got the foundations of tea and kind of what tea is. And I do remember you saying tea is a food. It is. It's not just a drink. You were going to talk about some of the health impacts of tea and how tea can help or assist with health related matters. So I'll give it to you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because you know what? It's so it's so cool to me that it's there's so much more here than people realize. Like it's it's not just one of those, you know, things that you saw in an article. Oh, you know, you should take this because it's gonna help that. Like you saw it in a, a, like a like a clickbait. Like I think we talked about right, that last yes. episode. There's actual yeah. substance here, and the very fact that they have a an entire symposium around this gives it some gives it much more substantial weight and legitimacy with scientific minds there and all that then just you know some random clickbait of i drank you know whatever for a month and look what happened to me yeah yeah and you know what i think that's actually what the community is after because you can't 
you can't um, advance towards even, you know, the ability to make a health claim without there being a significant body of evidence. So something has to be, there has to be a large enough denominator of evidence in order to reach uh, a level of statistical significance or weight um, for us to do that. And I really think that's- Yeah, you can't just have one random survey or something like that or one random study. So I think think that those interested, you know, sort of the spearheader, at least from my observation, that really seems to make this symposium happen and sort of governs the process of abstract submissions, et cetera, from the scientific community is a really brilliant um, scientist researcher named uh, Jeff Blumberg. Um, He's uh, been the symposium chair uh, for a number of years. Um, He's Professor Emeritus at the Friedman School of Nutrition, Science and Policy at Tufts University. And as I said, there are many, many other other scientific contributors involved in organizing this and uh, certainly in chairing the symposium. But um, I've had the opportunity to, to see Dr. Bloomberg not just speak at this symposium, but also um, I've seen him speak at uh, World Tea Expo, um, which is the, the largest sort of trade show and educational conference for tea industry specifically. And, you know, he understands how science works, right? And, you know, in, in order, in order for something to to advance, it really hinges on uh, legitimate scientific research and a significant body of evidence. So he knows the best way to advance this is to advance that first. Right. Makes sense. And, and is very committed to, um, I guess, shepherding and, and, you know, the way for this database, if you will. I don't I don't know what he would call it, but that's what I call this database of of literature to amass. And certain and I think what's important is there's a body of research more than just from, you know, tea company owners or something or a particular Exactly. It's not, it's not twinings, you know, that's that's subsidizing all the research. It's neutral research. Exactly. So it's more trustworthy. And if there's one or two weird outlying studies they get blended into the overall right. average, which tells a bigger story. So you might find that industry does pay for some of the research, but not all of it. And and what's right. interesting is that the doesn't matter who paid for it, the, it's the research is still heading in the same direction, right? So exactly. um so I want to start though first with some World Health Organization data about health outcomes of of our population and okay. and tie that to why people should care about paying attention to this research. Because it turns out, my one of my first observations, Kevin, when I was like immersing myself in this, and just sort of being a sponge, it really just affirms everything that I knew and believed about why nutrition was important, and that includes tea, is because the top causes of death globally are really linked to 80% or more risk factors that are modifiable. Um, behaviors, things that we could actually take charge of and change and less, oh, okay. lessen things our risk. under our control. Things basically. inside, yeah. There's, so there's only about 20% out of your control. Right. Which would be genetics and things like that. Environmental exposures. Yeah. Genetics, things, things like that. Well, but even that, even environmental exposure, hypothetically, I mean, there's financial issues, but you could move. <laughs> 
You can't. I mean, it's not, true. I mean, but there, not but, everyone. Not everyone can afford to move. Admittedly, but, but we can't influence things like like drift of um, pollution through air and acid right, rain and right. and what comes out of your tap and 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 I, I suppose unless you can, I think we've talked about that in the water episode. Like there's increasingly better water filtration systems you can buy, but that's yes. not accessible to everyone. So things exactly. like that. So, but in but in some cases we know certain chronic diseases. Um, you know, the risk factors modifiable are, are, you know, 90% other diseases, you know, genetics plays a larger role, for example. So sure. it might be, might be closer to 80%. But it's the vast majority is kind of the bottom line. Whether it's 10 or 20% that's outside of our control doesn't matter. The number that's inside our control is still very large, right? It's very, it's, I, I feel empowered. Like it feels yeah. good to know that I have some, I have free will in this. It's not all determined at the moment I was born based on, you know, the genes that I got. Yeah. So I'm going to just kind of run down the the, the top causes of death uh, globally, sure. according to the WHO. And this is like huge data and it's, and it's published um, not necessarily every year because I, I, I do go back fairly frequently and try to see if WHO has updated this. Um, so this is a slightly older statistic 2015 close enough but but the the top t- um, causes of death are heart disease related mm-hmm. uh, and strokes and we know strokes are very connected to to heart disease Alzheimer's and dementias COPD which um, you know is sort of lung related um, okay. disorders um, and cancers and diabetes. Mm-hmm. But we know that the top cause of death globally are would be heart diseases and strokes and things like that. But and then when you then you can break down what's cool on WHO's website is you can break this down in a number of different ways, high income countries, low income countries, um, uh, etc. And then you can break it down by country specifically. You are. I just. I just have to say, you're such a data nerd. If you think that this is the coolest part of the WHO website, that you can break it down, I love it. I love it. That's why you're the scientist, and I'm not. <laughs> well, what what we learn from that is that in lower income countries, um, those things like heart disease, stroke, cancers, um, become lower on the top causes of death, and they become more things that are related to lack of access to sanitation um, okay. and, and, Makes and, sense. and things like that. Uh, they, they die of more infections. They have more infant meta- mortalities and things like that. Right. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, T. Colin Campbell in the China study and all that work that he did that I've referenced a few times, he really refers to what, what kills more people in high-income countries are what he calls diseases of affluence. <laughs> right, right. The 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 result of are are of us um ha- having almost overnutrition, but not of the good stuff, right? Well, it's that it's a hierarchy of needs. I forget what, it, but it's a hierarchy of needs where once you have the basics, then you move up that hierarchy, and it makes sense that what will kill you, you know, we're no longer being eaten by lions and tigers and bears. You know, we're, we, we've moved up that hierarchy in certain areas of the of the world, and then it becomes more like processed food and yeah. things like that that's yeah. going to kill us, you know, and lack of exercise and, and things like that. And just as a, like, this is a completely side anecdote. We never do that. But when it comes to tea, what I've, what I, what I've learned from talking to tea growers and tea producing, some of these tea producing countries um, or areas of them 
are some of the more low income origins, right? And what I've learned from like just engaging in conversation with them, often tea is such an important staple in their day to day diet because it becomes so very accessible to them. Whereas other avenues of good nutrition aren't as accessible to them. And they're actually really depending upon tea in as part of their diet as a source of antioxidant right. protection, as a, as a source of nutrition, which I find really interesting. So now just back to the WHO data for just one second, because, you know, cancer is up there in the top causes of death. And what's re- interesting is when you flip it to Canada, we have the dubious honor of cancer being the number one cause of death and heart disease second. Very dubious. Versus in the United States to the south of us, heart disease is their number one um, leading cause of death and cancer would be secondary. So, but so in Canada, heart disease is the second leading cause of death. But one in five Canadian adults will live with cardiovascular disease, cancer, chronic respiratory disease, or diabetes. And then one in 25 Canadians aged 20 or older will also suffer from mood and anxiety disorders and cognitive decline. And uh, one in two Canadians are expected to get cancer in their lifetime. I remember... I remember being in uh, either brownies or girl guides. I was very young. And I remember we were, (laughs) ironically, you're selling the cookies for this, right? (laughs) You're selling the cookies to try to donate money to some good cause. And we decided that year to sell, to to raise our cookie money, our girl guide cookie money and give it to the Cancer Society. Um, and I remember we were talking about the statistic when I was little of being one in four Canadians would be expected to get cancer in their lifetime. So that means in my lifetime, that has already doubled. So that's concerning to me. Of course, it's huge. Because not, not, not only has that statistic doubled, but the population of Canada, the denominator has gone up exponentially because I think it was only like, Four billion people mm-hmm. on the planet, and now we're up to like almost seven eight. Yeah. billion, almost eight billion people on the planet. So not only has the denominator gotten larger, but the ratio right. has also gotten larger. That's concerning. So it's yeah, the 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 incidence of these ailments have outstripped the increase in our population. Right. So no, it's it's very concerning, and yeah, what w- it's. It, it's funny because just talking about cancer, like when I look around, it's sad. But even in the last two or three years, I can like I ran out of fingers if I start counting up the people I know personally, uh, like one degree of separation, who have had some form of cancer or cancer scare or something like that. And, you know, unfortunately, like one or two people also like haven't been survivors of that and have passed away. And, you know, I I think back even to my parents' generation, and maybe my parents had very healthy friends, but far fewer, when they were my age, my impression at least, is they had fewer, they talked about fewer friends of theirs who had cancers. Maybe they didn't talk about it around the kids, I don't know. Um, But it just strikes me that I, at my age, I have more friends who have, had or have or continue to have cancer than even one generation ago. Yeah, I I would I would agree with that and I, I you know there is an aspect of 
more ability to diagnose and diagnose earlier and that's that's definitely part of Probably. the reason why we why we hear more of it but i i would still argue that our lived experience day to day is this is much more touching us much more than it than it than it did two or three generations ago and and the the data proves that out right so mm-hmm. there is more more prevalence of cancer. We are, our risk has doubled of, of having cancer at some point in our lifetime. So the purpose of this, <laughs> adding this to the podcast isn't to instill fear. The purpose of this is to instill empowerment because that understanding that 80% modifiable risk factor goes to show you that four out of five Canadians has more, one or more modifiable risk factors for chronic disease, that it may include tobacco smoking, physical inactivity, um, uh, unhealthy eating, or harmful use of alcohol. Right. But, you know, it's it should be um, a positive thing for us to know that 80% of Canadians could greatly, very materially, very significantly reduce their risk if we improve our diet, we modify um, our alcohol intake. If we are a smoker, we quit smoking um, and we increase our physical activity. So at consumption of fruits and vegetables, you know, greater than five times per day, or if you want to go to the recommendation, it's more like 10 to 15 servings per day. And that can include tea, believe it or not, because tea is a food and it is what like one of the most powerful beverage tools that we have. We we it's easy for us to talk about how we could eat differently. It's sometimes very hard to know, you know, if I'm if I'm not going to drink milk and I'm not going to drink concentrated juice and I'm not going to drink, um, you know, all of the other things, the Gatorades, like all all right, of the things right, out right, there, right. the com- commercial products, with? Red Bull, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Like if I'm not going to drink those things that, you know, other people have, you know, maybe they've had a health claim or some industry influencer or some celebrity influencer has, you know, mm-hmm. promoted it and then and it has kind of a, a greenwashing uh, attached to it and you find out, oh, maybe that's not the best thing. What am I going to drink? Right. And so I think that becomes very relevant for me because we, we know the importance of water. The great thing about tea consumption is if it's a, if it's quality tea and we haven't done anything to it, mean, meaning like, you know, it's not just about farming quality, although that's part of it. But if we haven't added a lot of sugar to it or or dairy to it, if we just drink it as a natural beverage as as it was intended, it counts as water as well because it's right. 99% water. All sure. right. So what the what the symposium told us in 2022 some the most significant most recent scientific findings. I mean, we've known for quite some time several things and and the the this symposium just continues to infirm it time and time again. And let me just briefly list some of them. We we've known that Tea is very, very supportive. Um, um, heart health has health, heart benefits, cardiovascular benefits. We know that it is very significant um, against cancer. In fact, um, I was doing presentations back in 2012, particularly out of Japan, that you know t- 
like they actually make can make a health claim in, in Japan about um, tea and cancer prevention and, and, and supportive against people who are living with cancer. Oh, we, wow. we don't have we don't have the ability to make that health claim in our part of the world yet. But we know even from the Angiogenesis Foundation, the, the work of Dr. William Lee and his organization have proven that tea is near the top of the list of anti-angiogenic uh, substances, which we talked a little bit about angiogenesis, I think, at the, in the last episode. So we know that it helps with cognitive function. We talked about theanine in the last episode and why it's such yes. a such a yes. such a powerhouse. So there's so many things. So I want to touch on those. And another like startling statistic, just to kick this off. Did you know to this day, tea is um, the most widely consumed beverage in the world next to water? I think I did know that just because it is, I mean, in India and China, it's massively consumed. And those are the two most populous <laughs> countries in the world. So it kind of makes sense. And in Russia, you know, and in, you know, South Asia, um, so many, so many countries. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, and I learned this early on in, you know, sort of tea Somali training. We think that one of the reasons why you know, North America accepted. It, it's the most widely consumed beverage in the world next to water, except in North America. We think that's because of the Boston Tea Party. Right. And and the, the fact that it, you know, that movement against uh, taxation without representation, it wasn't the top. Tea, tea wasn't the reason, but tea was the symbol yes. of, of, of that protest. And it uh, became unpatriotic to, to drink tea. That makes sense and and probably just culturally then that people got out of the habit of drinking it and absorbed coffee instead so we think that that's happened but even that being the case Bloomberg and his companions uh, pointed out at the symposium that still over almost 80 percent of American households um, do drink some tea so so it it is I think they kind of declared in the late 90s that there was a tea renaissance sort of happening in in North America as the population at large, you know, started to consciously make shifts towards more healthier diet and lifestyles and more healthier consumption of foods and uh, as well as beverages. So, you know, as I kind of present this, it's important to point out, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, that a lot of people don't realize that black, green, yellow, oolong, poor, white teas all come from the same plant, right? And there there are there are two different main sort of main species that that we use to to grow and manufacture tea, you know, the one that's more higher grown, one that's more lower grown, one that's a larger smaller leaf, one that's a larger leaf, but they're still, you know, very close varietals, uh, same species. So it doesn't really, this is what I take from that, Kevin. It doesn't really matter to me as long as it was quality tea. Doesn't really matter what kind of tea it became because it all comes from the same plant. So it's going to have a, a similar chemistry. What's going to vary in chemistry is is going to be based on where it was grown and how it was grown in terms of elevation and the amount of sunlight and the amount of uh, rainfall and the wind direction and uh, the other other things that influence the terroir. So that takes a lot of anxiety away from me and it should take anxiety away from other people about focusing on one category of tea. And Dr. Blumberg says this all the time, just drink the tea that you like because then you will drink more of it. 
don't worry as much about green versus black versus oolong. And, and I think I've mentioned that before. Like it's, it's kind of not a useful question. How many antioxidants are in this one? How many caffeines are in that one? But when it comes to scientific research, you do have to have a very specific hypothesis, right? Um, right. Because if there's, it's uh, scientific inquiry tends to be more reductionist in nature. So you do, they are sometimes focusing on green tea or focusing on black tea or folks, you know, whatever. And I think, but, uh, and, and I think you said that there are, and I think you said in the last episode, there are some subtle differences based on the amount of oxidization that happens between say a white tea versus a black tea or a green tea, but they're very subtle and, right. and, you know, so, so I guess scientifically there might be a measurable difference, but just for day to day, right. rubber hits the road reality, living in the real world, it's not a big enough difference to really worry about too much. And right. as you say, as long as you're drinking something that brings you joy, then drink lots of it. Yeah, exactly. Because so, so like you said, there will be differences among the types of tea that result based on varying degrees of processing and oxidation. But at the end of the day, all tea contains flavonoids. Um, which are those naturally occurring compounds that have antioxidant properties and that they provide other bioactive compounds that help to neutralize free radicals, you know, reduce damage in the body and, you know, help us basically to prevent and in some cases make advances against um, chronic disease processes that may already be underway. And it also contains that theanine, that special amino acid that is uniquely found in tea for the most part and crosses the blood brain barriers. Okay, so um, I'm going to focus uh, on the, the, the top line that they discussed at the last year's symposium, and it was cognitive function and cognitive decline, immune function, cardiovascular function, and T and cancer. And then, uh, and then we're going to wrap it up with some, you know, general dietary, dietary guidelines uh, involving T. Okay. Okay. So cognitive function. So this was really cool. If it's okay with you, I'm going to read sort of right from their summary, right from, right sure. from the, the, the key takeaways of those presentations. So the first one is they found um, evidence from randomized control trials that support the conclusion that tea consumption can produce short-term acute beneficial effects on attention measured by objective tests such as the attention switching tests on subjective reports of alertness. Um, and the studies also consistently show beneficial effects of high doses of L-theanine, that beautiful amino acid, um, together with the low doses of caffeine on attention task performance. So those findings from their studies indicate that caffeine and theanine when consumed together improve our attention. So they, what if you caught that, they, they talk in there not just about attention, but our actual ability to do attention switching. So it's the second time I've seen them present research on that. And okay. the last time I saw them present research on that, it was really interesting because they did a test of coffee drinkers versus uh, tea drinkers. And I believe it was a German study in the in the prior symposium um, five or six years earlier. And they found that the coffee drinkers took more breaks 
and had more difficulty with attention switching because of the way that oh. I think the body metabolizes and deals the with the caffeine, caffeine versus versus the theanine giving you more of a slow slow release and more modulated effect that the that the tea drinkers in that in that segmented study had took fewer breaks and handled attention switching tasks much better. So their okay. conclusion was it's and and it seems to be coming up again in the most recent symposium. It, you're more likely to be able to hold your attention, process cognitive information, handle attention switching tasks better if you choose to drink tea. Okay. Um, and the those effects were attributed to this very unique combination between caffeine and theanine and how they work together. I think I touched on that in the last podcast. Like you did, if, yes. If you remove yes. if you remove one, the other one doesn't doesn't work as well. So this idea of decaffeinating sort of goes out the window, right? That's not really beneficial. And um, they actually tested this in EEG studies. So this is coupled with increased alpha activity in the brain as measured by EEG or type of, uh, you know, sort of brain activity monitoring and an improvement in sustained attention suggested that when you put all this together, it actually actually reduces a stress effect. So it improves okay. our ability to handle stress. Um, also showed reducing cortisol response, which is linked to that, that stress re response in humans. And they say attenuating cardiovascular responses. So b basically helping us deal with stress in our day as we're doing, trying to perform these cognitive activities. So specifically, they sum this up by saying there is good indicative evidence that tea and its constituents seem to be beneficial under any circumstances of stress. And the most profound cognitive domain seems to be that tea acts upon our attention and our alertness. So it can help us prevent burnout. Isn't that nice? So it is. It is. And clearly all those British grandmothers whose response to every single stress in life was, oh, come have a cuppa with me. Right. To calm yourself down actually makes sense. That it does. We shouldn't be making fun of them as I'm doing right now. Yeah. We, we should be listening to those British grannies because they know the tea calms you down. Yeah. So, so the tea and attention piece and cognitive enhancement piece, I already knew. What I didn't know is that the new research that kind of went along with this that they presented on in relation to cognitive decline, which is really, really exciting because you may be Remember from the WHO data I presented how Alzheimer's and 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 dementias is really really high up there in right. leading causes of death, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. so the two this is from the symposium. The two most common forms of dementia are Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. So your vasculatures, your system of arteries and veins, um, your vasculature is related to cardiovascular types. Of, of functions as as well as, you know, of not just our organs, but also our brain. Currently, there are no effective drug treatments that they know of for um, Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. Right. So any inquiry that helps advance that area is very um, important in science sure. right now. So with T, their focus on, you know, advancing this research is on prevention. And it's estimated that 40 to 50% of dementias could be prevented through changes in diet and other lifestyle factors. So they're sort of supporting what 
you know, our our modifiable risk factors. Right, absolutely. So there is growing evidence from this research that as little as one to two cups of tea per day could significantly reduce risk of vascular dementia and potentially Alzheimer's disease. What? Excuse me while I go brew myself a cup of tea, because I need to go have some more tea. (laughs) Right? And And again, I quote from their summary, in recent years, there has been increasing evidence that regular tea consumption may provide protection. Um, high quality data from long-term perspective cohort studies indicate that the higher intakes of tea starting at as little as one cup and up to five to six cups per day are associated with reduced risk for dementia. Oh, okay. Kevin, I just wanna I wanna emphasize that because in order for them to make that statement, mm-hmm. In a symposium presentation summary, it has to be backed up with evidence. Right, right. No, exactly. Otherwise, they wouldn't exactly. be allowed to even state that. Um, data from these studies also find that moderate intakes of the flavonoids present in tea are associated with reduced risk for cognitive decline and dementia. Maximal benefits of tea may be obtained from as little as two to four cups per day with little additional benefits to higher intakes. So that takes the pressure off. So you can be a crazy person like me and drink upwards of, you know, eight to 10 to 12 or more cups of tea per day, but as little as two, as little as four. So, you know, two cups a day, you know what that is? That is one teaspoonful of leaves steeped twice. Right. So that was really, really cool. I think that's a very important topic. Yeah. Okay, so Kev, we've covered cognitive function, cognitive decline. Yes. Um, I, I, have, I have so much more to tell you. I want to touch on the other areas, but I'm sensitive to the fact that we've already taken a lot of time in this episode, and I don't want to lose everyone. Why don't Why don't we uh, leave them hanging on a cliff again, and we'll we'll continue this with a part two. Another cliffhanger. Dun, dun, Let dun. me think. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love a good cliffhanger. And it's also, and honestly, it's a lot for me to absorb so far. So it's good for me to let this steep for a while. Ooh, I like Ooh. that. You know, there's, a, there's, there's just so much to unpack here and, and I want to keep everyone's attention. So next episode, um, when you join us again for Nutrition for Noobs, we'll do immune function next, cardiovascular uh, tea and cancer, and then we'll wrap it up with um, sort of the dietary aspects of where they're going with all of this research. How does that sound? That sounds absolutely amazing. So everyone, you're just going to have to wait for two weeks for the part two of this, or really part three of tea overall. I promise this will be the last cliffhanger, and we will learn a whole lot more about uh the health impacts of tea and how amazing it is. I can't wait. Haven't I been telling you there's so much more to tea than people understand? You have, you have, but it's <sighs> it's nice to have the, not that I don't believe you, but it's nice to have the science behind it and to have it publicly recognized on a, on a, on a factual level. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's... <sighs> Sometimes the simplest aspects of behavior change are right in front of us. Yes, yes. It's it's and it's very empowering. I feel amazing. Like it's very empowering to know that. So, I love it. I love okay. it. I look forward to next time. 
Absolutely, but before we go, it's time for my dad joke. Bring you it can't on. avoid it. You cannot avoid it. Okay, this will be short and sweet. My kid wants to invent a pencil with an eraser at each end, but I just don't see the point. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. You have to laugh. You I can't think... just. You can't just. For everyone, well, Michelle's laughing. just holding her head. She's I'm just not... like, oh my god, rolling her eyes and holding her head, saying, "I cannot believe. Why did I get sucked into doing a podcast with this dude?" <laughs> I'm not laughing with you. I am laughing at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, what you're thinking is, dad jokes were never, ever part of the pitch when I agreed to do this bloody podcast with you, Kevin. That's oh, what you're thinking. You know, in a morose sort of way, I've, I've come to look forward to it. Oh, I'm, I'm very <laughs> sorry to hear that. Look how far you've fallen. You know what? Sometimes your jokes are really cute, though. Even, you and know, even the groaners. <laughs> and most of the time not. Okay, so join us next time for part two of this tea episode. And until then... Eat your greens. It's actually 2B. We did 2A. This is 2B. Oh, my God. 2B. Okay. Okay. Or not 2B. <laughs> Just say be real. Be real, everyone. Okay, good. <laughs> this has been Nutrition for Noobs. We hope you're a bit more enlightened about how your fantastic and complicated body works with the food you put into it. If you have a question or a topic you'd like Michelle to discuss, drop us a line at n4noobs at gmail.com. That's the letter N, the number 4, N-O-O-B-S, at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform might be. Also, please consider leaving a review or telling your friends. That's the best way to spread the word. We'll see you next time with another interesting topic. The views and opinions expressed on Nutrition for Noobs are those of the hosts. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical, nutritional, or health advice. Listeners should seek a personal consultation with a qualified practitioner if they have any concerns or before commencing any actions mentioned in the podcast.